Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. We welcome you to be charmed by the Poets for Peace show on the Voice of Islam, where you can listen to inspiring poetry sent in by listeners like you. And don't forget, this is your show. So let others know that if you have written a poem you wish to share, then you can send us your recording so it could be aired. And we look forward to being inspired. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The purpose of The Voice of Islam is to inform people of the true teachings of Islam and to make it abundantly clear that Islam's teachings perfectly conform and relate to the needs of every era and every person. The Voice of Islam brings you a whole range of exciting programs each week, 24 hours a day. Tune into our current affairs programs such as Pathway to Peace and Faith in Focus. Welcome to another episode of Pathway to Peace. Welcome to Faith in Focus, an hour of discussion, debate and dialogue. Find out about faith in the current age with Science Hour and Around the Table. Welcome back to the Science Show here on The Voice of Islam. Welcome to another edition of Around the Table. Join us on Voice of Islam throughout the week for a wide range of programs for you to enjoy. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, welcome to another live program. Uh, welcome to Voice of Islam radio station if you're just tuning in. 
then you know this is the time uh, that we bring you the drive time between 4 and 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. Today we have uh, two very interesting topics that we want to uh, discuss with yourself. Uh, first of all, we're going to speak about um, some fascinating facts. So obviously, this is part five of uh, the series that we had started here on Thursdays. When we look at some fascinating facts, uh, things that you may or may not know, and we talk about that, and um, you know, just to uh, uh, increase the curiosity and uh, learning. Um, uh, a part of our show as well. So the first uh, fact that we have for today's show is uh, that we have uh, an unusual presenter in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who's not here on Thursdays. Fact. That's the first fact. Imam Raza is joining me. Assalamu alaikum. How are you? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you very much for joining, uh, for, for letting me join you. And um, I might steal that idea of the interesting, the fascinating facts as well for my show. No, no, you cannot steal <laughs> it. This is only for Thursdays. Collaboration. Only for Thursdays, yes. But, uh, you know, we welcome you to join us uh, and, and call in. Uh, share with us any facts that you may have in your mind, on your mind. Uh, and if you would like to share with us, uh, you know, um, uh, there's, there's always, you know, knowledge is something that you should... Uh, uh, you should uh, give to each other according share. to Islam. Share, yes, of course. And uh, we, we all learn from that. So today we have gathered some uh, food-related facts which we believe our listeners uh, may not have heard before. But before we start with that, let's start with uh, some guidance from the Holy Quran, uh, the word of Allah the Almighty. Um, so let's look at chapter 16, verse uh, 67 and 68. What is it that we learn from the Holy Quran? Allah the Almighty says, And surely in the cattle too there is a lesson for you. We give you to drink of what is in their bellies from betwixt the feces and the blood, milk pure and pleasant for those who drink it, and of the fruits of the date palms and the grapes, from which you obtain intoxicating drink and wholesome food. Verily in that is a sign for a people who make use of their reason. Now, in this verse of the Holy Quran, uh, as you can see, um, animal or, or animals have been used um, as an example for us that we can learn from them. We can uh, learn from the signs that Allah the Almighty have provided to us. What are those signs? The signs are that we are able to take the, uh, advantage of uh, of these uh, animals. Uh, they have been created uh, for our um, you know, comfort and our advantage for us to uh, be able to take advantage of. And, um, you know, whether that's, you know, the milk that we drink from cows, whether it's the meat that we are able to enjoy, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, fruits and um, other uh, vegetables that we are able to uh, enjoy by the grace of God. And um, this wholesome food Allah the Almighty has created for us and... Um, uh, over the you know thousands of years, people have taken advantage of the skin and everything that um, has been created in terms of the animals. There's another verse of the Holy Quran that talks about this as well. That we have created animals for you that you may you know uh, eat from them, and you may also use their skin for uh, for for protection. So now we have to remember that obviously um, everything has to be done. Uh, in a good measure and with a balance uh, it does not mean that we 
you know, slaughter all, all animals and, and misuse that, it also does not mean that you should not live a, live a sustainable life. Uh, of course, you have to be um, conscious about your environment and all of those things. Uh, because obviously, Razat, nowadays people always think mm. that, you know, uh, meat, uh, there's, there's a growing trend to get away from meat yeah. and purely go towards the other uh, extreme, extreme of uh, and i think this this is what you, what you mentioned if you if you go back in time uh, i mean uh, at the la- after the, at the time of the prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon previous um, nations they would literally use every single thing that an animal had to offer mm. and as you mentioned the verses of the holy quran by i know um, the the skin the the bones yeah. the meat you name it nothing would go to waste mm. and i think the problem that we see in today's day and age is because of the food wastage because of the food shortage on one side of the planet and then too much excessive food on the other side of the planet people are starting to waste it the, the equilibrium is is not there yeah. right so the balance is, it's off balance is not it's not how it used to be and and to feed the appetite of people who who excessively eat yeah. and and sometimes you know that creates um, you know a burden on 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 the on the planet as well of course and it that's exactly what 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 religion or what islam specifically tells you and everything you have to have moderation yeah. just because you can doesn't mean that you have to yeah. i mean I, uh, if you keep training yourself i'm sure you can eat probably half a lamb in in one session but is is there a necessity for that that's the question exactly and i think that comes back to what we have talked about before as well many times here on voice of islam is that you know with this guidance about eating in moderation uh, and not wasting hmm. uh, the example of the holy prophet of islam prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon <coughs> him was such that he he used to himself um, eat uh, in in in, in a very fixed way mm. where he would eat um, uh, only fill his stomach one third and one third he would keep for water and one third was empty it was just for air so you know that is good for the health plus it is also sustainable it is also a simple life yeah. that the prophet used to live and you know thinking about the life in arabia at that time was very simple you know you mm. not everybody was able to enjoy meat on a regular basis you know it's it was uh, you know a little bit of lux- luxury nowadays you know we we have a completely different uh, uh way of life yeah. uh, here uh, in especially in developed countries where you eat too much meat perhaps you know on on that note i mean there's a narration of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him narrated by hazrat abu huraira may allah be pleased with him and in that the prophet said that what is sufficient for one of you to satisfy his hunger he asked his companions right and then he said it is a morsel of food he should place in his mouth and if there is nothing available then a few gulps of water will suffice yeah. that was I mean, simplicity as well it wasn't that he didn't have anything available i think if he wanted to he could have because specifically in the later part of his life he he was quite an influential man yeah i mean he was the ruler of 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 a of a big huge part of the country um but again he he preferred that simple lifestyle he preferred the modesty in everything uh 
Mm. And in in this whole incident, I'm I'm just thinking on the day of the victory of Mecca when he when he took over that whole city and everything was at his disposal. He could have taken anything that he wanted. Nobody could, would have stopped him. His victory meal consisted of dried bread and vinegar. Mm. That that's that's the man he was, yeah. right? And he didn't change. No, he didn't change with any uh, any of that time. So this is the example that we learn from the Islamic teachings. Um, so obviously, as our facts are are, are around food today, um, as we mentioned, you know, um, while some people live to eat and others eat to live, one thing is certain: we all got something to do with food. And uh, food plays a very important role in shaping culture and celebrating traditions around the world as well. If you go to different parts of the world, and I'm sure you've had that experience, uh, you see different societies, different cultures. Very interesting how, you know, people uh, have different cuisines. Uh, there are different uh, flavors. There are different, uh, uh, you know, uh, foods across the world. Uh, the techniques of making that food, the ingredients are quite unique sometimes to each community. So from humble family gatherings to a big festive occasion, food acts as a unifying force, fostering a sense of identity and belonging. And even in sometimes, you know, events um, in the community, you will have people, you know, saying, okay, what's for food? <laughs> so people are always excited and look forward to food. So from recipes handed down across generations all the way to the latest viral uh, videos on TikTok or other social platforms, food is literally everywhere. So um, one of the specific food that we're going to talk about, obviously, today is, is honey. Uh, Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran, chapter 16, verse 69 and 70, And thy Lord has inspired the bee, saying, Make thou houses in the hills and in the trees and in the, uh, in the trellises which they build. Then eat of every kind of fruit and follow the ways of thy Lord that have been made easy for thee. There comes forth from their bellies a drink of varying hues. There is a cure for men in it. Surely in that is a sign for people who reflect. I mean, 1,400 years hmm. ago, Imam Raza, this is something that always amazes uh, you know, me when, when I read about this in the Holy Quran. And uh, the, uh, the, the effect of honey, hmm. the purity of it, and the way it's so healthy for us and continuously you will find new research coming out explaining you know these yeah. are the benefits to honey this is why you should have honey this is how it can help uh, you know with the uh, different illnesses it's it's quite amazing that 1400 years ago uh, <laughs> you know in islam this was uh, allah the almighty had already told us look at the detail i mean and thy lord has inspired the bee saying make thou houses in the hills and in the trees and then they eat of every kind of fruit and then follow the ways of their lord and then from that so from the houses then they eat the fruit and then comes from their bellies a drink of varying hues and there is a cure for men hmm. how much detail that goes into and again if uh, i'm sure you've seen it i've seen it the documentaries that go back all the way to to ancient egypt and they had these these jars filled yeah. with honey and they're still intact yeah, yeah. some of them you find hundreds or thousands of years old and 
God Almighty has spoken about this. Yeah. He's told us before through a man who was unlettered. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in itself like verses like this you take one verse and and that in enough is a proof of you know the <laughs> this this <laughs> the led God, this yes. led to the golden age of Islam and th- this is what it was contemplation yeah. All, over and over again God Almighty tells you in the holy Quran yes you read it but also think about it mm. research on it you know do, do your own um uh, research and 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 look deeper and that's exactly what the what the previous muslims yeah. did and i mean for anyone who's seen uh, how honey is extracted i mean you could see videos that i've, yeah. I've seen a few videos you see people we hanging people. on ropes right <laughs> we know people who do it <laughs> <laughs> hanging on ropes and you know they're being attacked by bees yeah, yeah. it's so protected but that that you know hive when they cut through it it's yeah. like oh, honey just you know dripping down and it's you see all of that you know very little is actually needed for the bees to survive yeah. but all that honey is actually it's amazing that you think that allah the almighty has created that for us to enjoy and uh you know take benefit from that's true and um and that produce or that product of honey takes years and years uh for a bee to produce little bit of honey yeah. but but so yeah so as i was saying archaeologists yeah. have found pots of honey in ancient egypt egyptian tombs that are over 3000 years old and still perfectly edible 3000 years old still perfectly edible and this uh, long shelf life um that's what it says i mean it's it's because of the low water content and high acidity mm. which then creates an inhospitable environment for any kind of bacteria any kind of microorganism or anything that could make that honey go bad mm. and yeah isn't that a sign that is a big sign of course um so obviously when we go to the supermarkets and pick up honey that something that you can yeah, keep in mind yeah, islam true. talked about this you know <laughs> 1400 years ago it's a little bit expensive but there's a reason why that honey is so expensive because yeah it, it takes a lot of effort um the next fact we're going to look at is that the world's most expensive coffee uh kopi luwak is made from coffee beans that have been eaten and excreted by the civet a small cat like mammal mm. did you know that no i did not actually and it's so interesting because uh, also known as civet coffee kopi luwak originates from the lush and biodiverse regions of indonesia specifically sumatra java and bali and it's renowned for its unique and somewhat controversial production process so if you were to guess how much a cup of kopi luwak so this coffee mm. uh would cost think of a number i'm sure it's not that high yeah you're thinking probably 500 no no it's not that much but it can sell for as much as 80 dollars in the united states just a cup one cup mm. which is crazy because it's literally made <laughs> from coffee beans that are partially digested and then released yeah by a cat like mama <laughs> good good word that you use there <laughs> and of course the must Recycled. be yeah it's got a distinctive flavor <laughs> so it has a very um, you know special um, special uh, it's a special special thing Aroma. for for pia yeah, of course um so the digestive enzymes in the civet's uh, stomach uh, change the structure of the proteins in the coffee beans actually which removes some of the acidity to make a smoother cup of coffee with a distinct and mellow flavor profile but this is a labor intensive process and there is a limited supply to this 
um, of course, that results in, you know, the price that you were mm. told about $80, something like that for a cup. But um, this is the reason because it's it's in limited supply. Mm. So after the beans have been ex- excreted by, by the civet, relieved, relieved yes. or released into air uh, into nature again these local coffee farmers they carefully collect and thoroughly wash them they ensure that any impurities are removed while preserving the beans integrity and then what happens is that the beans are then sun dried they're roasted to perfection which brings out the coffee's unique aroma and taste and the flavor of kopi luwak is often uh, described as earthy with hints of chocolate and caramel notes, creating a luxurious and indulgent drinking experience. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, but... <laughs> not uh, after this? <laughs> not after this. Not, not the Kopi Luwak, that's for sure. Um, but yes, yeah, sounds interesting. But it's a hint of chocolate, caramel notes, and earthy. For, yeah. for the coffee lovers out there, I'm sure it's an it's, it's, uh, it's inspiration. However, the popularity and demand for Kopi Luwak have not come without controversies. Uh, concerns have been raised about the treatment of uh, these animals in some coffee plantations, where they are confined to small cages and forced fed, fed uh, coffee cherries, part of what makes Kopi Luwak so special. Uh, experts say that uh, you know um, these wild kivets pick and choose the choicest coffee cherries to eat, so keeping them in cages and feeding them any old cherries uh, obviously will mm. result in the product not being great and you know um certainly it might have some effect of uh, the quality of the the coffee as well mm. and i think that that's very similar to other things like where where animals are then commercialized in this yeah, way like yeah. even chickens right eggs eggs right? best example I yeah think. like chickens that are inside a barn or in, in, in inside a small place a cage hmm. never see the sunlight yeah. never get to go out and you Dude, know. I'm telling you <laughs> in in general now this is probably not something that everybody can do and everybody does but I I got an allotment this year a what an allotment okay right so I I've been I've been trying to grow your own s- my own stuff in Croydon yeah there's space so, there <laughs> there's space there <laughs> We do have allotments. <laughs> <laughs> so I had today, actually, I, I've picked some strawberries. Mm. And I'm telling you the taste, the look, the color, the flavor, the smell, everything. It's it's so intense. Mm. And it's you can tell the difference. And we've just picked it, washed it and ate it. Oh, my goodness. I'm not a huge strawberry fan. But that was 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 very very nice. Yeah, then I can spinach, potatoes, radish, cucumbers. You name it. The the when you when you take it out of the soil, the smell itself, it's 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 completely different from if if you were to go to to the supermarket and buy it. Yeah, of course. I mean, I remember was talking about strawberries. I went to a strawberry uh, picking farm, farm to, yeah. to get some strawberries from there. And those st- strawberries were were amazing. Mm. And you, by the time I got home, the next day they were going bad. Yeah. And if you get strawberries from the sh- oh, shop, yeah. they can be... Three, four, <laughs> five days, easy. Yeah, easily. Yeah. So that tells you how much, you know, chemicals and things are put on them. And some of them, of course, it's important because they need to go to the shops and yeah. they need to survive. But uh, um, 
of course when we talk about mass production and that goes hmm. for meat for chicken for everything then kopi lubak of course yes so it uh, it 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 has its disadvantages so but despite the controversies a limited supply and labor intensive production process contributes significantly to the coffee's uh, huge price tag often reaching hundreds and even thousands of pounds per pound its role in the world of coffee um cannot be denied whether one sees it as uh, a very expensive uh, luxury or an eth- unethical um luxury kopi luwak continues to captivate the curiosity of coffee enthusiasts and remain an enduring symbol of extraordinary lengths people will go to mm-hmm. <laughs> you know to satisfy their uh taste of coffee and uh, again you know you need to have a new flavor every now and then right <laughs> you need to have a pumpkin spice latte or a you know Uh, exactly. <laughs> Recycled by a cat. A cat-like a cat-like animal. Anyways, let's move on to the uh before we move on actually to the next fact. Um anything Raza you want to say about like what what is ethical, what is what is right to eat as a muslim? Uh, yeah, is there I any guidance this, on that? Yeah, there is guidance uh, that we find in the Holy Quran also in in the in the light of the narrations of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But that, that I mean this this for me is is always an interesting discussion to have depending on who you talk to. I mean, for muslims we are guided to have a pure and healthy lifestyle. There is ample um verses in the holy quran where god almighty talks about what is allowed for you what is not allowed for you so one is in chapter 2 verse 173 and 174 in which god says that he has made unlawful to you only that which dies of itself and blood and the flesh of swine and that on which the name of any other than allah has been invoked but he who is driven by necessity being neither disobedient nor exceeding the limit it shall be no sin for him surely allah is most forgiving merciful so these are the three or four categories that have been declared as unlawful there's no debate there's no discussion there's no gray area there's no room for any kind of conversation to be had for so that is an animal that dies of itself mm-hmm. one blood of any animal two the flesh of swine so pork is is forbidden for muslims and that on which the name of any other than allah has been invoked so if you slaughter if you sacrifice an animal in the name of <coughs> any god in the name of any whatever it is right that is the number fourth uh, or the fourth item missing that which is not allowed for muslims to be consumed however life is most precious life mm-hmm. needs to be um sustained and if you find yourself in a situation where you literally don't have anything to eat and your life depends on it but you do not want to be disobedient you do not want to exceed the limits but this is all that is available maybe there's only pork available maybe there's only an animal that dies that, that died by itself there's a dead animal yeah there's a dead animal and you you have to you know you're at the limit of your existence then in that survival situation. mode basically survival yeah. mode basically yeah. is allowed that is uh, some great uh, guidance that you mentioned and i think uh, on different programs uh, we have talked about the philosophy behind it and why it yeah. is mentioned right yeah so we're not going to go into that but of course if you're interested um, you're most welcome to obviously look at those programs and uh, there's always a f- 
a moral background to this. Uh, the reason why Islam says in this way to to eat in this way is because everything that we eat <coughs> and drink uh, has a moral impact on yeah. on on our, ourselves as well, not just the physical. So there's obviously scientific evidence as well now showing why. Uh, we should stay away from alcohol, for example, and also you are pork. what you eat. So, yeah. But okay. just very quickly, I think before we move on, uh, I think a lot of people might be wondering, or they they do ask that question about halal, halal meat, mm. halal shops, halal this, halal butchery. You see these little stickers and stamps on on these shops. What exactly is that? Uh, it's just first of all. So if it doesn't fall under these four categories that we just mentioned, which are clearly unlawful then it becomes halal mm. it also depends on how the animal has been kept and how the animal has been slaughtered mm. right so it's not just um the way that it has been slaughtered so meaning all the blood has been drained then the name of god almighty has been proclaimed on while that animal was being slaughtered but also everything else that i said before so if all of these things combined together that basically becomes halal. So it's not anything crazy, anything out of the ordinary, anything um, you know, purely Islamic. This is basically the way that you should consume yeah. meat. And halal basically means means clean, right? Clean, Cle- yeah. cleanliness, allowed or yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, allowed. Yes. Um, all right. So we're gonna move to our uh, next fact. Um, Raza, what what colors are carrots? Yeah, so carrots. Um, I didn't grow carrots yet. Okay. I'm thinking of, but I think they're fairly easy to grow. Carrots are orange. Some yellow. people do call them yellow or yeah. even red, but <laughs> for me, they're orange, right? <laughs> However, they before the 17th century, carrots were predominantly purple and sometimes yellow or white. Wow. Dutch growers sought to develop a tribute to William of Orange, a national hero. We know them, heard about him in school, by cultivating a carrot which had an orange hue. Now, the orange was in honor of the Dutch royal family, more specifically the ruling house of Orange, which is, to this day, the reigning house of the Netherlands. The exact details of how they achieved this are not fully documented, but the process likely involved selecting and breeding carrots with more intense orange pigmentation over successive generations, leading orange to eventually become the most common color. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, it takes time. Yeah, and uh, I, I wonder if you could still get purple carrots somewhere. I think I've seen them. You, you know, when you get into this, yeah. the, the, it's interesting because there's there's so many types of of tomatoes there's so many types of onions there's so many types of potatoes yeah and different colors sometimes you know like this this doesn't look like yeah. a radish or a tomato it's like a completely different color do you remember when oh, yeah. when yeah. uh maybe when you went to africa as well you saw did you go to yeah yeah, 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 yeah you yeah. did um when i went to sierra leone i went to the market yeah. with the with the the friend there to to get some you know fruit and stuff and they gave. Uh, they were like, okay, let's let's pick up some oranges, yeah. and I'm picking up these green oranges. Yeah, like, this is yeah. what this is. This is not ripe. <laughs> is this a big lemon? <laughs> but it's actually a lime. Yeah. But it actually was an orange. Yeah. And it was sweet, but it was green. And same with bananas as well. They're green bananas, but they were yeah. sweet and ripe. They have these small ones. They have these huge ones. Yeah, different colors. Definitely. Yeah, that's how it is. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Give us a call uh, if you want to share any food facts uh, with us. I would love to hear from you. 
uh, here at Voice of Islam. Um, I got more stuff on the carrots if you want. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's take it after. Now, uh, after, okay. After the, after the guest, yes? Yeah. Okay, so let's take our guest first. We have uh, Faisal Khan, who is uh, one of the founding members of the Instagram food blog, Mummy's Food Mission. Uh, this started actually during the COVID lockdowns uh, by a group of uh, mothers trying to figure out what to make for dinner. And the blog now provides its followers with recipe ideas for everything from quick snacks to uh, fancy dinners. Um, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Faiza, welcome to the Dry Time Show here on Voice of Islam. Wa alaikum salam. Jazakallah. Jazakallah for joining. So, your Instagram account focuses on um, recipes and, and ideas for uh, busy mothers. How did you identify the need for this specific niche and what inspired you to start sharing your uh, recipes? Yeah, so as you have already mentioned, um, our food page kind of started during the lockdown. Um, we Nobody was, you know, really ordering takeaways and you couldn't really go out to eat anywhere. So uh, we started making different kind of dishes at home and then um, it was also the month of Ramadan during the lockdown. So we were, you know, kind of asking each other and our WhatsApp group every night, okay, what was everybody making for dinner? And then we kind of uh, collected all the pictures and the recipes we had shared with each other. And then afterwards, we had so many recipes and pictures. And then we thought um, this is a really good starting point because I think most mothers, they... I struggle with this question every day. Okay, what am I making tonight for dinner? So um, we thought that's a really good thing if we should just share it on Instagram. So we uh, we went for it. We made the page and uh, we started adding the recipes slowly. And also, uh, I think what makes us special is that we are five different moms doing running the page all together. So we all come from kind of a bit of different backgrounds. And so we bring uh, very various recipes to the table. It's just not one cuisine, but it's um, various different cuisines all together. And, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the saying by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he said that when you're preparing food, you should make more so you can share it with your uh, neighbors and your friends. So as content creators, we can't directly share the food with the wider community, uh, but we do share it with, you know, the ones who are close by to us. But um, in this spirit, we are sharing our recipes with the wider community. Wonderful. Now, one one issue that a lot of parents do face is balancing nutritious meals um, with their schedule that can be quite challenging for many parents. How do you approach creating recipes that are both convenient and it doesn't take much time um, and but at the same time healthy as well for the for, for families and specifically for kids? Yeah, so health plays a really big role for us, and I feel like as a mom, uh, you are kind of the um, main caretaker of your family in terms of feeding them and making sure your kids are getting all the nutrients they need. And we are always sharing tips with each other on how you can reduce, for example, the plastic um, and better ways to prepare the meals and also how to make, you know, healthy foods like different kinds of vegetables appealing for our kids. And then uh, 
uh, we share that on our page as well for our followers. And um, uh, I wanted to read out um, two really good points by the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. He has provided some guidelines for feeding children. And the first one is that a child should be fed at six hours. Um, this will breed the habit of self-control and save it from a number of evils. And regular food habits further lead to following good habits as punctuality, self-control and good health. And the other one is that a child should be given a variety of foods. So it should have meat, vegetables and foods, uh, fruits because dietary habits affect morals and um, a variety of food is necessary for a variety of mo uh, morals. And I think uh, most moms can relate um, that at times it can be really frustrating trying to present a wider variety of foods or vegetables to your children as some kids turn out to be very fussy eaters. But it's really essential that mothers should keep in mind that it's just a phase in the toddler's development. And um, slowly but surely over time it will get better and it's really important as a parent uh, to lead by example so if you are yourself um, trying to be conscious about the uh, food choices you are making then surely your kids will follow and it's really important that you include your children when you go out to do groceries you can you know explain to them uh, what good foods are and what nutrients they are bringing for their body and then you can also include them um, in the cooking process uh, to help you prepare the food and then um, from my own experience I can say that um, the more I include my children in this whole process uh, the eager they are to you know try to um, try different kind of uh, foods they haven't had before. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and one of the things that, you know, is, is great guidance uh, by the second caliph that you mentioned. And I think another thing that we talked about earlier in the program was uh, how Islam also teaches us, you know, to 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 not waste food and to be mindful and, you know, um, eat in moderation, uh, especially when when you have to cook for the family, when when you have to plan you have to have a plan uh, for for the meals that you want to cook uh, say during the whole week so how important is that planning uh, when it comes to planning out uh, the whole week what to cook and um, and to to buy the items as well so making sure that we don't waste food yeah so meal planning is a really good way to make everything easier for yourself as a mom because if you sit down on on a sunday and you just make a quick meal plan for the week for every day. Uh, you can instantly write the grocery list at the same time and make sure you have all the groceries for the whole week so you're not going back and forth to shop. And um, um, another thing we also share on our page is uh, kitchen organization and um, the motivation, you know, to encourage to make sure your kitchen is best equipped because if you have everything easily reachable, it will ensure a smooth cooking process. Uh, we have also, for example, shared lists of emergency stock as well in the, in the past um, of like staple items that you should have at home all the time. So these are like smaller things, but uh, they do make um, a big impact in the long run. It will make it easier for you. Now, 
One thing that I want to know is uh, social media, especially Instagram, is a, is a visual platform. And also it's, I mean, every second, every moment it's changing and you have to be upbeat. You have to be on the ball all the time. How do you make your recipe ideas visually appealing and relatable to, to mom seeking inspiration? I know from what you've said, uh, five individual families, uh, mothers, very busy in their own lives. And then you have to do this this Instagram as well, uh, editing, f- f- taking pictures and all of that. Isn't, isn't that extra added um, stress? Or how do you manage that? So, so if, you, if you scroll through our page, you can see that uh, our photography skills and videography skills have quite improved over the past three years. Um, we are always trying to, you know, stay up to date with the new techniques and uh, uh, following, you know, the latest trends. Um, uh, you know, it's, you need to, like, stay on track, as you're saying, um, with the latest trends of, you know, the reels and what type of audience you insert in your videos. But for us, um, when we made this page, we decided for us that um, we want to do this as a hobby. So. Um, as like a fun part to our daily life to you know make cooking also more enjoyable for ourselves and um, we always try to see it that way um, so that we can enjoy this not we don't see it as a chore you know as an extra chore that we are doing and it, you know it's fun to to share this with everybody and it really makes us happy when we get messages from people um, that they have recreated our recipes and they're thanking us because it gave them inspiration, you know. And also, if you um, if you closely pay attention, you will see that uh, in some of our videos, you can also spot tiny hands. <laughs> so we also include our kids um, in the video making as well. All right, brilliant. Looks good, man. Uh, mm. The... the different yeah, uh, photos it's here yeah. it's going to try the chicken and chili <laughs> right there <laughs> alright uh, Jazakallah Faisaba for joining us uh, thank you very much for your time Jazakallah Assalamualaikum Mummy's Food Mission on Instagram M-U-M-M-I-E-S Mummy's Food Mission yeah man it's uh, some great sauce. stuff there Vaganite um, yeah and um of course, uh, when we talk about food, um, some of these points are really, really important that, uh, you know, uh, the the food, um, the, the, the making sure that food doesn't go mm. to waste. Uh, and ultimately, you know, these are the blessings of Allah the Almighty. And uh, we, we are lucky that we're able to enjoy so many different kinds of foods uh, nowadays. Uh, and one should always be thankful to Allah the Almighty. And I think it's beautiful Islam teaches us to always be thankful, to say Alhamdulillah, mm. to thank Allah the Almighty. And you won't find this in any other uh, religion where there's so much uh, guidance on on how to eat food, yeah. um, how to be thankful. There's a prayer before, there's a prayer after. So there's so many blessings uh, related to this. But coming back to carrots, you did have something more. Yeah, so the origins of carrots can be traced to regions around present-day Afghanistan, Iran, and parts of Central Asia, where they were initially cultivated for their medicinal properties rather than for their taste or appearance. Now, these primitive carrots featured a range of colors, including purple, red, white, and yellow, as I mentioned before, each variant indicative of specific chemical compounds that provided distinctive health benefits. 
ancient civilizations revered these purple carrots for their purported ability to treat ailments such as digestive issues and even enhance night vision <laughs> before the goggles night vision because of their high um, anthocyanin content now the orange carrot as we know it today emerged later through selective breeding efforts in the Netherlands as I said during the 17th century so thanks to the Dutch for giving us orange carrots this deliberate crossbreeding inadvertently suppressed the purple pigmentation ultimately leading to the dominance of the orange variety that has become the global norm. So much on yeah. carrots. Yeah, I mean, we've always heard that eat carrots if you eat want carrots, your eyesight yeah. to be good, yeah. right? <laughs> and even nowadays, you know... Uh, oh, I've tried. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work for me. <laughs> it didn't right? work for you. Yeah, I thankfully have twenty twenty vision. Even in football, there's, uh, you know, uh, Erling Haaland is a very yes. famous uh, striker from Manchester City. So there was, a, there was a meme going around showing why he is successful. And every time he's driving out of the training ground, you can see he's, he's got carrots. <laughs> he's always chomping on those carrots. That's why he's scoring goals, right? Uh, 0208687 uh, Yeah, if you have any uh, food fact that you would like to share with us, then... Uh, do give us a call on this number, 0208-687-7878. Now, uh, Raza, uh, the great debate uh, mm. around genetically modified food, uh, also known as GMOs, uh, this referred to living organis- organism uh, whose genetic material has been altered in a way that doesn't occur naturally through mating or natural a recombination. I mean, we just talked mm, about mm. carrots. Yeah. You can talk about any fruit or any vegetable yeah. right now, right? Uh, and and this will be there. And there is, uh, you know, different levels of it. Mm. You could say that some things uh, might not be harmful. Other things, you know, wh- where do you put a limit to? It? It's very difficult, isn't it? It is. I mean, the, the, all of this came up in the times that we live in, as I said before. So you have food scarcity on one side of the planet. You have, um, you know, hunger, extreme poverty, extreme hunger. You have famines, you have dry spells and you have fires and whatnot on one side of the planet. And then on the other side, it's it's uh, lush gardens and, and fruits and veg en masse. So in order for that balance to be recreated, I think that's what the idea behind it was. But proponents, they argue that GMOs, they offer substantial benefits. So you have increased crop yields, you have improved nutritional content and enhanced resistance to to pests and diseases. You don't have crops just all going to waste because... Because of something going because bad, of which an, would oh, because of an insect. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I face that problem right now. <laughs> Half of my stuff. Yeah, I feel like you're gathering a I'm lot of you, a lot of knowledge is, on the, in this I'm field. I'm learning <laughs> so much. I mean, this was my first time, but I know exactly what I have to do next year. So, uh, how, how big is the allotment that you have? It's it's a, it's a quarter plot that I got, but it's it's quite big. So mm. these are like four beds basically. I could never imagine you. I'll come, come by. <laughs> okay, I'll, I have we'll, to come around. We'll have some. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cook something there. <laughs> we'll cook something there. <laughs> so the debate um, around uh, genetically modified organisms, uh, GMOs, ha- has been a topic of significant contention and yeah. uh, complexity. Uh, you know, people argue that GMOs offer benefits, as you mentioned already. Um, but then, of course, there's always that uh, that element of mm. uh, of something going bad if you don't use it. So, you mentioned 
uh, you experienced something. What was that? Was that an insect or something? In oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, so f- for me, as growing up, what I said was crop oh, resistance okay. against uh, diseases and bacteria. So this is what these GMOs offer. But if you're doing it naturally, you will have to face certain issues. You will have ants or bees or yeah, pigeons the, yeah. or whatever it is or any kind of bacteria or the soil is not right, whatever it is. These issues, you don't have them when when you put some science into it, basically, mm. these GMOs. However, those people who are against it, those who criticize it, they do raise concerns about potential health risks. You have ecological disruptions. You have economic dependence on a few dominant seed and chemical companies. So all of this combined, I mean, they they advocate for thorough safety assessments, transparency and labeling, and also preservation of traditional farming methods. But this discussion will continue it still is ongoing it will continue and it's different from country to country as country well. to country of like course. here in the uk uh, you might have a different level of uh, you think about it i mean how would you deal without it how would you go exactly. about yeah how would you be able to provide so much food for such a large population yes. in such large quantities without having some sort of yeah. protection without right on yeah. that food if they don't understand that we we can be okay with one apple we don't yeah. need three yeah <laughs> then yeah maybe one <laughs> day we will get there <laughs> all right uh, next fact uh, bananas uh, are berries no way no man okay i still have to read it out <laughs> but strawberries are not apparently <laughs> yeah strawberries it's it, they have the name berries but they're not They're not berries. Yeah. Well, at first, the rationale behind this uh, counterintuitive juxtaposition might appear silly, but a closer examination of botanical definitions and structural intricacies unveils the fascinating truth. Botanically speaking, a berry is a fleshy fruit produced from a single ovary. So by this definition, bananas qualify as berries, but strawberries, which are classified as aggregate fruits, do not because their seeds are on the outside. <laughs> they very, are. I'm very confused. They're, they're on the outside. Yeah, that's true, though. Yeah, that's true. So they're not berries. They're yeah. I don't know what would you call them, but it's also interesting. You know, when you go to the supermarket and sometimes you have like, I don't know, um, uh, spring onions mm. or 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 zucchini or whatever it is, and or tomatoes. Do you click on vegetable or do you click on oh, fruit? Oh yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's why I get the yeah, package. Yeah. Right? I don't have to do it. <laughs> I just got that. <laughs> So the proper definition of a berry is that they develop from a single ovary that bear seeds, albeit minuscule and nearly vestigial, and they sport a fleshy pericarp. So despite their name implying a kinship with berries, strawberry seeds are not formed from a single ovary, but rather from multiple ovaries within a single flower. So this intricate composition places strawberries in the botanical subgroup of aggregate fruits distinguishing them from the straightforward berry classification. Yeah, and some for some people this is very important. It is. It's a huge <laughs> debate. Heads will roll if you don't <laughs> yeah. have the proper position on this one. I'm just interested in the food. <laughs> so, let's get over it. On the topic of fruits, uh there's there's a bonus fact for you all today as well. The pineapples can take almost three years to grow, making them one of the slowest fruits to reach uh maturity. Spring plantings mature to uh, bloom more reliable, reliably than pineapples planted in fall, but it still takes 16 to 28 months for flowers yeah. to appear. 
Fruit development <coughs> begins about six months after the flowering and can take another six months for fruit to develop and ripen for a total growing time up to 34 months. And most importantly, when it comes to pineapples, I think this is something, if, if we want you to go away with anything that you've learned in today's show, it's this one thing. They do not belong on pizza. <laughs> it does not belong on pizza. It does not. End of story. Yes. Maybe the next time you pay more uh, for a pineapple, you feel you should be, uh, you know, uh, be paying that because... It, appreciate it, it, the growth, yeah, appreciate, man. 16 yes. to 28 yes. months, you say? Of course. That's a long don't, time. Don't waste it on a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, the first ever cookbook, Apicius, was written in the first century Common Era. Now, believed to have been authored by a gourmet named Marcus Gavius Apicius, or Apicius, I believe, during the fourth or fifth century, the cookbook offers invaluable insight into the culinary practices and preferences of the Roman elite. Now, he was reputed for his extravagant lifestyle and an insatiable appetite for luxury and delicacies. The cookbook itself, titled Dere Kokuinara, which translates uh, to On the Subject of Cooking, is a compilation of various recipes and culinary techniques that were prevalent during the Roman era. Now, the origins of Apicius do, however, remain somewhat mysterious, as no complete manuscript of the original work has survived. Instead, the cookbook has been preserved through various copies and fragmented um, you know, parts and discoveries over the centuries. I wonder yeah. what they would cook. What would they cook? I don't know. Something very... very Roman. Roman, yes. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> with pineapple. Without, with pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is getting too much. So the finding uh, of the first ever cookbook uh, sheds light on the gastronomic preferences and practices of ancient Rome. Um, and there is a wide range of ingredients that are used in that, of course, from exotic meats like uh, flamingo and ostrich to various mm. seafood, vegetables and spices. Sounds interesting. The cookbook provides insight into cooking methods, seasoning and even presentation, reflecting the culinary sophistication of the Roman upper class. Um Apicius also serves as a historical and cultural document highlighting the social importance of feasting, uh, lavish banquets, and the role of the cook as an artist. A very big part of social media culture these days, it obviously uh, revolves around the phenomenon of viral food videos, both purchased and made at home. There's an entire uh, subsection of Instagram and TikTok dedicated purely to food, so we would hmm. be remiss to not discuss this aspect today that we have already done as well but of course of course when you look at videos when you look at the food it's all about the presentation isn't it yeah. and the person doing it whether he's I, I don't trust any of these videos yeah. I'll, I'll be very honest with you i do not trust a single one of them because i don't know what kind of filter you have used i don't know what kind of lighting they have used and i don't know what kind of cook or chef has made that specifically so you can take pictures of that so i go in anywhere i go I go in with my hopes basically touching the ground. Yeah, I think it's a no good thing. No hopes. Yeah, don't have too high hopes. No, no, no. No expectations whatsoever. Yeah. Anything you get, just say Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Be grateful. You have the food at least. There we go. But you know, on that topic, <laughs> just one more thing that I need to say. Yeah. I actually saw uh, a video um, of a 
behind the scenes when they were like adverti- when yeah, they yeah, they yeah, advertise yeah. food right yeah. they actually don't use the original or the the Why ingredients <laughs> yeah because it won't look that good <laughs> yeah. they actually uh, yeah. so one thing they they were using for advertising burger and chips or whatever yeah. fancy kind of burger yeah. it was they were using glue yeah because to it was it more, more shiny yeah yeah shiny and it's running down and yeah. you know it's it, it's all marketing bro so marketing yes. it's all and we fall for it every single time anyways one last thing i think we can give in a minute chocolate was once used as currency Did you know that? Yeah, the use of chocolate as a form of trade and exchange can be traced back to ancient Mesoamerican civilizations where cocoa or cacao beans were valued not just for their gastronomic faculties, but also for their inherent worth in social, economic, and cultural contexts. Now, the Aztecs and the Mayans, amongst other cultures, recognized the intrinsic value of cacao beans and utilized them as a medium of trade, much like precious metals or gems. in later civilizations. Yeah, it makes sense obviously in the beginning people especially in in Europe and here probably never seen chocolate before. Yeah. <laughs> same thing with tea, same thing with the uh, spices, Chili, spices, yeah, yeah. yeah. flavor. Like huge huge value apart from salt and pepper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And these beans were cultivated with meticulous care and their transformation into a rich bitter elixir was a sacred art. The resulting concoction was consumed by royalty, by warriors and priests during ceremonies and rituals. Beyond spiritual realms, cacao beans were used to settle debts, pay taxes and negotiate transactions, embodying a tangible representation of value in the world of commerce. What is metal going to do? Nothing. <laughs> But cacao beans? Yeah, I can deal with that. Yeah, we can trade some chocolates right. <laughs> 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 Anyways, I think uh, just towards the end, uh, what we uh, just to wrap it up, of course, you know, we should be thankful to Allah the Almighty that we have, uh, we're blessed to have all of these foods available to us. And again, going back to it, uh, we should eat, enjoy those in moderation, and not forget to share and to also give those mm. who don't have. This is the central part of the Islamic teachings. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call. Join us after the news as we bring you the second topic of today's show. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio ya ya al mubti ya the originator the one from whom all creation originated ya yeah. 
and he it is who originates the creation, then repeats it, and it is most easy for him. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on Voice of Islam Radio Station. You're listening to our live program. We talked about some fascinating facts uh, in the previous hour, and all of those were related to food. Now, in the second hour, we're going to talk about the uh, promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And the topic of discussion in this hour is faith revival and the universal search for a reformer. Now, this is a very important topic. Uh, the whole reason why uh, this radio station is, um, you know, uh, working towards and the reason why this radio station, Voice of Islam, was established was to, you know, portray the true teaching of Islam and to spread um you know, the true teachings of Islam to the world so people could learn that Islam is a peaceful religion, that Islam is the true religion that Allah the Almighty has given. And to revive the teachings of Islam in this day and age, the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, was sent by Allah the Almighty to fulfill this task. And he was uh, sent as a prophet, not an independent prophet, uh, who came with a new sharia or a new teaching or a new religion, he did not come as a new law-bearing prophet. He came as a subordinate prophet. And what it means is that he came as a prophet who was servant to the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He came to serve his religion. He came to further his message. He came to revive Islam to bring people back to the Islamic teachings. Because what we see um, over the last uh, you know, uh, few hundred years and more is that uh, people have, especially Muslims, have gradually, after the demise of the Holy Prophet of Islam and the, um, you know, after the time of the rightly guided caliphs and some time after that, People gradually forgot about the true teachings of Islam and they started adopting different other things um, and started deviating from the truth. And over 
you know, 1,400 years or so, uh, people completely had gone away from the Islamic teachings and, uh, you know, um, gone on a completely wrong path and people had forgotten the beauties of Islam. Uh, hence, it was needed that Allah the Almighty would send somebody to again guide uh, people towards the truth. And it's not something that uh, we're just saying or it's not something that the promised Messiah came and said, hey, you know, I, I, I've just been sent to do this. But this was prophesied by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, 1,400 years ago. In fact, he said that a time will come when people will uh, deviate from the true Islam and people will do all sorts of uh, immoral things. They will practice all kind of wrongs and they will be far away from uh, the true Islamic teachings that I am presenting, that I have given to you, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He went as far as to say that the faith, Islam, would vanish or go as far away from people as the stars are. And at that time, uh, Allah the Almighty will send the Messiah uh, who will come, who will be an Imam amongst the Muslims and he will come and revive faith and he will bring people back towards Islam. And this is exactly what the advent of the promised Messiah, uh, Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmed, uh, may Allah be pleased with him, <clears throat> he um, came to bring people back towards Islam and this is this was his mission. Um, and he says that reason and history bear witness to the fact that when darkness of sin overshadows the earth, when all sorts of transgressions prevail in the world and evil is supreme, when the spiritual sensibilities are deadened and vanishing, when the earth is growing impure with immoral practices and the love of God being numbed in the hearts of men, a poisonous wind begins to blow. The mercy of God then ordains that life should again be uh, breathed into dead hearts and the earth should be quickened afresh. As there are changes of seasons in the physical world, so there are revolutions in the spiritual world. In autumn, the trees lose their freshness and greenery and are stripped of their leaves and branches and look like a man who, being in the last stage of consumption, loses all his flesh and blood, or like a leper whose face is disfigured by the effects of leprosy and whose limbs have dropped down, but they are not left in this state. Another period comes. An, atom, an autumn is followed by spring when a new life is given to the dead plants and they spring forward into fresh leaves in the spring. Similar to these changes in the physical world, there are changes and revolutions in the spiritual world and periods of light and darkness follow each other successively like day and night. At certain stages of the history of the world, men are stripped of spiritual excellences and the perfection of manhood like trees in the autumn, while at others a wind blows from heaven which breeds life afresh into their hearts. In accordance with this time and this time-honored law, Allah the Almighty prophesies by the mouth of his prophets that after nearly 6,000 years from the time of Adam, when great darkness would prevail upon the earth and an irresistible flood of passions would make the love of God wane 
and iniquity predominate. God would then breathe into a man the soul of truth and love and knowledge, spiritually after the likeness of Adam, and he would be called the Messiah because God would himself anoint his soul with the ointment of his love. This Messiah who, on account of the promise of God concerning his appearance, is called the promised Messiah in sacred books, would, and it's foretold, be made to stand against Satan and fight. And between him and the evil one, there would be a mighty struggle, the final struggle between good and evil. For this spiritual fight, Satan would bring all his hosts into the field and gather together all his power and might and make use of all his resources. Never shall a fight like this have occurred between the good and evil before. For on that day, the tricks of Satan and the means by which he can mislead people would all be exhausted. After a heavy fight, the Messiah of God would drive back the powers of darkness and the glory, majesty, unity and holiness of God would be proclaimed upon earth once again and would continue to be declared for a thousand years, the seventh day of the holy books of God. Then will be the end. I am that Messiah. Let him who will accept me. So these are the powerful words of the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And indeed, you know, at the time when he came, there was a huge, uh, there was a huge um, influx and a huge uh, uh, diversion towards evil everywhere in society. And we're going to learn about how the promised Messiah, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, how he came and changed that. Um, and what difference the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, made when he came uh, to this world and what, is, what it meant for the Muslims as well. So we're going to speak to our uh, guest for today's show. We have uh, Imam Salman Kamat, who is uh, obviously known to um, all of you who listen to the Drive Time Show here on Thursdays as he is one of our regular presenters. And he's joining us today to talk about uh, the revival of faith through the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Uh, so let's speak to him. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the Draft Time Show, um, Imam Salman Kamar. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, Jazakallah. We're good, Alhamdulillah. Thank you for joining us. Um, you know, revival of faith, uh, it, it's, it's a very important um, topic, especially for Muslims in general, because uh, Islam... We we know go through a lot of challenges and especially in these days uh, we have we are facing uh, challenges as well uh, in the Muslim world. What if I take um, you know our listeners back and look at uh, the prophecy of the Holy Prophet of Islam? Because Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him when he came and at the, at the time of his passing away at the time of uh, the rightly guided caliphs after him. Islam was, you know, very strong in terms of uh, the spiritual guidance that was there. Uh, it was making progress and it continued to make progress for a while before it ultimately started going downhill. But that was due to a prophecy that the Prophet said that this will happen. So could you just shed a little bit light on on why it was meant to happen and, and what was the plan for Islam 
after that period of darkness? Sure. So, um, you see, when we look at the history of prophets, so we're not just talking about the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but really all of the prophets, whenever they came to this world, they uh, brought a certain message and a certain teaching from Allah the Almighty. And after a certain time, um, this this teaching or that message really reached its, its, its pinnacle. And then comes the time where that sort of fades away with time and people join that maybe don't have the, the best intentions and uh, they mislead the, 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 the ummah of their prophet. So after every prophet, there comes a decline. This is how it's always been. So similarly, uh, after the prophet Muhammad sallallahu and it is, as you rightly mentioned, uh, it is actually a prophecy, as he himself mentioned in the Holy Quran, that I thought in, uh, he mentioned, and this is narrated in, in the hadith, that when the Prophet ﷺ was to pass away, then there was to be the rightly guided Khilafat. And then uh, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned a few steps, but that really ends that it will be a very dark age, after which he then mentions that then there will be summa takunu khilafatan ala min hajin nabuwa, that there will be caliphate at the uh, at the precepts of of the rightly guided prophet again. So this is when we see the uh, arrival of the promised Messiah, Alaihissalam. Okay, um, and one other thing that I wanted to ask you is that, of course, you know the rest of the Muslims um, <clears throat> generally are told. And uh, and this is something that I wanted to ask you. That generally, people believe Muslims. They believe that no prophet can come after the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And that uh, belief is apparently wrong because, as you mentioned, you know the uh, the Prophet, uh, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu himself said that uh, the Messiah will come. So how do how how do we you know? get our head around this that uh, you know uh, is is there was there uh, this, the possibility of uh, of a, a prophet coming after the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is that is that okay was was that something that was uh, fine according to the islamic teachings and what the prophet said uh, you see it is important to understand that allah the almighty never actually closed the door to prophethood as such Yes, it is mentioned that Islam is the most complete teaching and the Prophet Sallallahu is the is the seal of the prophets in terms of that he brings that final teaching. But that never meant that there cannot be a prophet after him. Rather, when we look at it from a different perspective, we understand that if the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu cannot bear its own prophet or a messenger of Allah, then what um, sort of uh, preference do we have over all the other ummas? When we, for instance, look at uh, the, the the time after the Prophet, uh, the, the Prophet uh, Ibrahim salam, or after the Prophet Musa salam, we see a chain of prophets, right? Mm. So, well, why should that uh, uh, blessing of Allah Taala then stop in the ummah of the Prophet Muhammad how does that make us ashraf? How does that make the Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ better than any other Ummah? Um, 
I, I just mentioned the example of the Prophet Moses, uh, the Holy Quran actually mentions the, this very example, and it says, that uh, the example of the Prophet Muhammad is similar to the example of Hazrat uh, Musa. And what we see in, in that case is that after 1400 years of Moses, there was a Prophet, which, which was Jesus. And uh, coincidentally, um, the Prophet Sallallahu even uh, after himself said that, that there will be a time when Jesus, son of Mary, Isa ibn Maryam, will come back. And we, the MDA, the MDA Muslim community, believe that that wasn't the second coming of Jesus himself. Rather, it was someone who would bear all the attributes of Jesus Sallallahu Hence, this, this door of, of prophethood is actually wide open. All, all, all the um, uh, non-Ahmadi Muslims uh, that believe that uh, there cannot be a prophet after the Prophet should really ask themselves that when Jesus والسلام, comes back to this world, in, in what capacity is, is he going to be preaching and teaching and really acting, right? Mm. And whenever this, this question is asked to, to the, 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 the scholars of, of, of uh, uh, the non-Ahmadis, you will see a, a variety of answers, but none of the answers actually makes complete sense because uh, ultimately Allah Ta'ala has not shut the, the door to prophethood. And this is why the promised Messiah also claimed to be a prophet because that is how it was supposed to be. Mm. And, and their answers, uh, you know, unfortunately, don't bring any positive result to the situation that Islam is uh, at the moment. And it doesn't give any positive outcome to what 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 is what what the future of Islam now is? I think that's uh, that's that's very evident from from the answers yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah. You, so yeah. You, uh, sorry, just to uh, carry on a little bit here. Um, Islam is a religion based on logic, hmm. right? So we at in the Ahmadiyya community, whenever we look at an Islamic teaching, we would always look at the most logical. Uh, explanation of something which makes the most sense and which is most beneficial to uh, humanity, right? Yeah. Now, if we were to believe the notion that Jesus himself actually uh, went up to the heavens and he's supposed to come back, how are we physically supposed to imagine this this, this whole scenario, right? Yeah. Uh, that Allah the Almighty, and that also raises a, a question actually uh, against the uh, powers of Allah the Almighty that Allah Almighty, uh, apparently, according to the non-Ambis, was not able to, to, to save his, his beloved prophet in this world, on the earth, so he decided to raise him up, right? Mm. And then we are supposed to believe that now this prophet, over thousands of years, has been sitting somewhere uh, in the heaven. Some of the scholars will tell you that that's on the seventh heaven, uh, beside the Allah Almighty. Other scholars will tell you that's actually on the ninth heaven. So, I mean, we have so many stories. And... Uh, each day that passes and Jesus doesn't come down to the earth increases the, the stories and, and the desperation that there really is within the Ulama of today, unfortunately. Yeah. So, for any of our listener who is listening in to this and for them it might be a new thing and I, I understand that completely because the general Muslims, uh, you know, they in general believe that uh, no prophet can come after the holy prophet of Islam, and that that's what they have been taught, you know, by their uh, yeah. their their scholars and leaders, uh, which is wrong. So for them to change their 
uh, understanding or opinion on this uh, it's obviously a big challenge and and you could understand that how would you you know what would you say to them that um why should they then accept the promised messiah how was the promised messiah hazim zaghulam ahmed the founder of the amdiya muslim community the right person um you know that was sent by god almighty um what kind of what was his claim and were there any prophecies any signs that were fulfilled that can assure us that yes this is this is the right person um you see the promised messiah sallallahu alaihi in in one of his couplets in urdu he he explains and i'll just try to translate that in in, in english he says that a pure heart doesn't need many miracles Right? Hmm. A, a a very small sign or miracle could be enough if if we have the 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 fear of Allah within our hearts. That's sort of the the, the uh, summary of of this couplet. So there are many many I mean, hundreds of signs when you really want to look into them. But what we need in the first place is to understand that there was the need of a prophet. When we look at the time of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. All, all the prophets that that were uh, before him, we 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 see that the it, it was a time of a very dark age, and and it needed someone to come from Allah Almighty to to really solve the situation. Similarly, when we look at the time, and and it has has been beautifully explained uh, within the writings of the Prophet Muhammad as well. That look, uh, it was the time for 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 the Messiah to come down, and 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 he himself says that look. If it wasn't for me, it it would have been someone else. But there was a need for someone to come down. So first of all, we need to understand that there was a need for a a a, a teacher, a prophet, a preacher to come down from Allah Almighty and help humanity to get back on the right track. And then, when someone does start looking with with a pure heart, with with uh, without being biased, right? and really leaving the fact, and I'm, I'm uh, I I can totally understand that this is something which is very difficult to do uh, if if you have been taught something since your very childhood to 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 leave aside that uh, notion or, or that understanding of your religion and try something new can be very tough but this is where we should pray to Allah Almighty and and ask him to 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 give purity to our hearts and to make us understand uh, the the rightly guided prophet of of this time and then hopefully Allah Taala inshallah guys who whoever is in uh, looking in the right direction perfect imam uh, salman kamar uh, joining us thank you very much for your time uh, thank you very much for explaining that i think it's a great point that um, you can be given thousands of signs um, but if your heart is not ready uh, if your intentions are not pure if you're not looking for the truth and praying for the truth then even a thousand signs might not be enough to convince you so thank you very much i think that's an excellent point uh, imam salman kamar thank you for joining jazakallah salam alaikum 0208687 is the number to call and talking about that uh, prayer to pray to allah the almighty to guide us uh, when it comes to the challenges of our time in when it comes to recognizing the messiah of the age uh, the one god almighty has sent because You know, look in the Holy Quran. There is nothing that says uh, that uh, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the last, last prophet. There is uh, the door of prophethood is open. Uh, in fact, the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, himself said 
that the Messiah will come. He'll be Imam amongst you and he will be a prophet. He's used the word Nabiullah, which means the, the prophet of God, prophet of Allah. And on the other side, you know, the Quran clearly states that Jesus, uh, the, the Messiah, Jesus has passed away. So Jesus is not supposed to come back to the earth. He was a prophet to the Israelites, the Holy Quran says. And the Holy Quran also clearly says that whoever passes away does not come back to the earth. Allah the Almighty does not allow that. So there is a clarity in that mind. Whatever is clear from the Holy Quran only leaves us with one option. And that is that Allah the Almighty sends a prophet again who will be similar or will have the same job as the Messiah to revive the faith because that was that's exactly what Jesus uh, did to uh, the uh, Israelites. He came to revive the teaching, teaching of Moses and bring people back to that. So again, that same status was to be given to a person and when a person is being given that huge responsibility to come and revive a faith, then you cannot call that person a normal person. That person will have to be a prophet of God because a prophet means somebody who's appointed by Allah the Almighty, who receives, you know, communication from from Allah the Almighty to um, to bring people together um, back to 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 unity. So for that reason, you know, people would not accept any person who just stands up and say, "Oh, I'm going to lead. I'm going to be the leader, and and um, I've been given this task." Then they will say, "Who told you?" Who, who gave you that task? He has to say, Allah the Almighty. Then they will say, what's the proof? Then all the proof comes in favor of a prophet. Only a prophet are, is able to do that. So this is, this is the possibility. This is the only possible option now that is open according to the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, that a prophet can come and will come, but he will be serving Islam. He will be a prophet subservient to Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. No new teaching will come, but any prophet that will come will come to revive Islamic teachings and revive and further the message of Islam. And that's exactly what the claim of the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was. So that in mind, there are many prophecies uh, for the coming of the promised Messiah there are many signs that was shown uh, by his advent and you can always look it up and we can always talk about that. We don't have time in this show to talk about that, but we have discussed that previously. And for more information on that, there's a, a lot of information that you can get from our website, alislam.org. That's alislam.org. And you can look at the truthfulness of the Promised Messiah. There are books, there are there is literature. There's another great book, Invitation to Hamadiyat, which explains everything in details explaining from the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, was that person who was appointed by God Almighty. And that's exactly according to the Quranic teachings. There's nothing that he introduced which is against what Islam teaches. So let's have a listen to uh, a clip which explains one of these, uh, you know, um, things in, in more detail uh, by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The fact is this is uh, a question which has been perplexing the western mind as well against Ahadur sallallahu alayhi wa claims and they say that uh, if God had 
given him a status. He should have given him the status right in the beginning. <coughs> but it seems that it is an evolution of thought than reception of an office from Allah. Because he gradually goes on increasing his own claims to his own statushood. So they say that first he told the people around, Anzir Ashirataka, you um, warn your own family members around you. And then he said that I am for the Ummul Qura, Waman Holaha. I am for the uh, Meccans and for those who live around Mecca. So he further increased. Then they say when he reached Medina, then he started addressing Ahle Kitab and further increased his field when he came into contact with the larger people. And then after, after all, he decided to become the prophet of the whole world and declared himself to be Ramatul Alameen. This is the step-by-step -step progress of the status of Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa Wasallam, which appears to their eye a very strange phenomena. And when they analyze it according to their own worldly corrupt minds, they say obviously it is not strange, it is but human. It is only strange when you look at it from the point of view of a revelation. But when you begin to see it as a human evolution, an evolution of human thought and gradual uh, increase in one's uh, claims, then the riddle is solved, it's no problem anymore. Now exactly the same attitude has been taken uh, by the enemies of Hazrat Masih and they have uh, raised the same type of objections against him. And they laugh at it and they some simply cannot understand. Sometimes he says, I'm Mahdi, then he went on to claim that he was Messiah. Then he further claimed he was also a Christian because he contacted the Hindus around them and said, why not? And uh, ultimately became every prophet. You know, that is... To become every prophet means to address the whole world. Practically it is the one and the same thing. And this is a phenomena which you also can't understand innocently, not in hostility, but just it doesn't uh, uh, appeal to you why it should be so. That's right, isn't it? Now I'll explain why. It, in fact, therein lies the proof of the prophets. It is if an established fact that if somebody is a liar who makes false claims, he does that for the sake of some worldly gain or popularity to become a leader of some sort, to gain the favor of public opinion and so on and so forth. Not that he wants everybody to turn against himself. Does, have you ever seen a man making false claims to attract hostility instead of friendship? No one has, unless he is an insane man. So, you have observed the politicians, 
they sometimes issue statements in mistake, misjudging the mood of the people and when they see people have not well received it and instead they have turned hostile, they immediately begin to retrieve their words and say, oh, it is not what we said. In fact, it is the press, you know, the press of the country and all that, how big liars they are and so on. And so we never said that. We said this and they have misinterpreted. Because they are not an honest, uh, they are not honest to people. When they see their objective defeated, they make a volta face and turn about. Now, this this is quite simple and logical because no sane man would make a claim which makes him unpopular and if he has done it by mistake to make a further claim in the same direction to become more unpopular if he is false he cannot do it so if the first claim of a prophet makes him popular then this interpretation of the Western scholars and the enemies of the prophets wherever they are could be understandable and acceptable that when he claimed to be the prophet of his family for instance he was so well received and so well honored that he thought why not a bit wider become a wider and uh, started, he started then addressing the Meccans and their people around them that would be understandable but the treatment which was meted out to him after making the first claim, as they put it, was so harsh, so severe, so terrible that the most popular man of the whole Arabia was immediately transformed into the most hated person of Arabia. So if that was the, the result of a false claim, no sane man could have traveled further in that direction and made still bigger claims. It's inconceivable. Only a true man can, it, can do it who, ha, who cannot escape this situation. In the Holy Quran there is a verse saying, talking of a time, a future from that time. And it mentioned, gives a prediction that when the prophet would be raised at time, at the appointed time, the commentators generally translate this verse differently and rather force its meaning. Taking it out of context, they say this will apply to the Yom Al-Qayyamah, the day of resurrection. But the word Ukhetat is not applicable there. Hosherat is the word all right, they would be raised, but so would everybody else. Why the prophets would be raised only during the day of Kama, that is the day of resurrection. And Poketat means will, time, will come exactly at appointed time. So there is no question of prophets coming during the day of resurrection at appointed time. According to Hazrat Masihim, the true meaning of this verse was this that a time was to come when the follower of Hazrat Muhammad Mustafa would come in the garb of all the prophets which, that, which were awaited at a certain time. Krishna was awaited at a certain time, they call it Kaljuk. 
कलयुग ही में सो वॉज बुधा सो वॉज कन्फ्यूशियस सो वीजस क्राइस्ट इंसेल्फ एंड ऑल द बिग नेशन ऑफ द वर्ल्ड वर अवेटिंग सम वन टू खाम एंड द इंडिकेटर्स वर to the time of hazrat masih mohd alaihi salatu wasalam the description in all these books tell you with the description of hazrat masih mohd alaihi salatu wasalam's time so the holy quran also describes this time as it is mentions in the, in the verse wazal ishara utlat wazal ghusho sharat wazal bihar fujrat wazal mawdud usailat wazal sofun sharat and so on and so forth so all these verses although these verses are mentioned not these verses in so many words but these uh, religious uh, predictions are made differently at different ages but all the fingers are pointing towards the time of hazrat masih mawlana sallallahu the age of masih mawlana sallallahu so if all these predictions were right then there are only two possibilities open either each prediction should be Uh, fulfilled literally and all these prophets should, should come individually representing different religions and calling the world towards them and all of them should be from allah bearing different messages if that had happened there would be a free for all in religion a mali would occur where there would be no peace whatsoever nobody would know who is from god and who is not yet the indications would 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 be fulfilled in 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 the favor of everyone everyone would say look here my book says this and so these symptoms of the age are for me the other prophet would say yes okay but they are for me my book also says that so that situation is situation is inconceivable it cannot happen from allah the other one the other alternative is that one man should have come representing all these and he was to be born as a slave to hazrat muhammad mustafa sallallahu alaihi wasallam as his uh, representative and this is how the various religions were to be united this is how the pictorial message of miraj was to be fulfilled that azur sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw all the prophets saying their prayers behind his imamat he was reading the prayer to all the prophets so the time appointed for these prophets is mentioned in that verse where is the rusul uqta who was that rusul who was to represent it represent all the various prophets to come at a certain appointed time and he himself was to claim that in the form of every prophet i am following hazrat muhammad mustafa sallallahu alaihi wasallam that was hazrat masih mohd alaihi salatu wasallam as we believe but has god said it in so many words anyway that was the question is that only an interpretation or allah has said it it is there where you have where allah has said it the revelation which you have quoted jariyullah fi hulalil anbiya it is one person one great fighter for the cause of islam jariyullah fi hulalil anbiya his garbs are different of various prophets so that also explains why how different prophets were to come their garbs were to be worn by a single person not different persons were to be there this is the explanation of this this revelation 
So these answers, uh, the questions around the prophethood of the promised Messiah, the founder of the MDM Muslim community. And in our today's show, obviously, if you're just tuning in or you were just listening to that previous uh, clip, um, we're talking about the revival of faith. And at this day and age, the revival of Islam uh, requires the coming of uh, the Messiah and Mahdi, as uh, Muslims generally believe. And uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, claims that uh, the founder of the community was, uh, in fact, the Mahdi and the promised Messiah and a prophet of God who came as a subservient prophet, came to serve the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, not bringing in any new teachings, rather bringing back people to the true teachings of Islam. And the purpose of his coming was to bring people closer to God and to serve mankind and to bring Muslims together to unite them on the true Islam, which the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said himself that a time will come when people will forget the true teachings of Islam and will go down the path of um you know, ignorance and misguidance. The promised Messiah said that I am the Messiah. Let him who will accept me and let him who rejects me reject uh, me because God Almighty is the one who will hold people to account. He said, such is my claim, but the work for which Allah the Almighty has appointed me, my function as the promised Messiah is that I should remove the estrangement which has taken place between God and man and re-establish man's connection of purity and love with his divine master. I have been raised that I should put a stop to religious wars and lay the basis of peace, concord and fellow feeling between me, that I should bring to light the religious truths which have been long hidden from the mortal eye, that I may show true spirituality by dispelling the darkness of passions and uh, that I may manifest the working of divine powers within man by prayer or by concentration of attention, and most important of all, that I should re-establish the pure and glorious unity of God, which is free from every mixture of shirk associating partners with God, and which has disappeared from the face of earth. All this will be effected not by my power, but by the mighty power of him who rules in the heaven and the earth, i.e. God Almighty, I see that on the one hand, Allah the Almighty having trained me in his deep knowledge and having made me the recipient of his revelation has granted me a zeal for bringing about these reforms and on the other hand, he has himself prepared the hearts which are ready to accept my words. Um, let's uh, have a listen to another uh, audio which explains uh, the prophethood of uh, the Promised Messiah and uh, according to the prophecies of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Now the premise has no foundation that no prophet of God <coughs> should be able to read or write. This promise is proved to be absolutely wrong by the Holy Quran itself because the only prophet who is referred to as Ummi is Hazrat Muhammad Rasulullah none other to my knowledge is mentioned as Ummi either in the Quran or in any divine book so this is not the right premise at all why too 
call every other prophet ummi if this is a title and a special title distinctive title of only hazrat muhammad rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that is if you apply this term ummi to the literal sense as well as to other senses but let's first analyze the word ummi and then see whether it is in any way applicable to other prophets or not the fact is that as far as the religious knowledge and the real underlying meaning of religious teachings is concerned no prophet is taught that by any human being so if that is what you have in mind then i fully agree with the premise that no prophet is taught what he is going to teach to the world in the name of god by any human being so if it is proved that hazrat mirza sahib was taught what he taught to the world in the name of god by some village teacher in his childhood then his case is dropped finished don't take any more interest but he what he was taught he rose to speak against that traditional knowledge handed over to him by the ordinary mullahs so that is what he was taught by god later on he himself you know for a long time until god had himself corrected him believed in the life of jesus christ uninterrupted continuous for the last 2000 or at his time last 900 years or so and he never noticed the 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 some verses of the quran which uh, positively declared him to be dead declared him to have met his natural death i mean Now, when it was revealed to him by allah that jesus is no more no longer alive and god revealed to him pointing to the verses of the quran when he reread the quran immediately a complete new understanding was born this was not this was never taught to him by a human teacher then read his test uh, commentary of the quran wherever he comments on the verses of the holy quran and then you re re examine the reports that he was taught by small village teachers the holy quran can you ever imagine that these uh, interpretations were taught to him during his childhood by a small ordinary village mullah what he was taught was how to read and write the quran and the traditional some textbook <coughs> he never went to school anyway you know like uh, some ulama are brought and elders are invited to help teaching the babies in muslim houses reading and writing of the quran and then for further study if they are interested some comparatively bigger scholars employed by wealthy families now now working back to that position can you ever imagine that a man or a family member the family member should realize this is going to be profit and he should not be taught <laughs> in these ordinary ways so 
this is a premise which has no legs to stand upon. There's absolutely no foundation. And when you do understand the meaning of who is taught by God and in how he is taught by God, then the things become very clear. Thank you. <laughs> that was the answer given by His uh, Holiness, the fourth Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Now, uh, talking about the revival of faith and talking about what the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, did uh, to bring uh, people back to Islam, of course, how do we recognize that? How do we identify him as the right person for that? Of course, for that, uh, as Imam Salman Kamar uh, talked to us earlier, that you need to have a pure uh, intention to find the truth you need to be open to making uh, a big change uh, when you recognize the truth because often people see verses of the Holy Quran, they see the truth in front of them, but because they are so preoccupied with what they have been told uh, from a very young age that they are not ready to accept anything that goes against their beliefs. So once, first of all, a person has to get rid of all of these, um, you know, blockages of their mind of uh, their uh, you know uh, open sincerity and purity of the hearts and then with an open mind and with a pure heart pray to Allah the Almighty to guide them but then you also have to look at the facts you have to look at what the claims was whether that um, you know um, is in line with what uh, the Holy Quran says and whether it's uh, confirming to what the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said. Then you look at those facts. You look at that and you think, has this person said or done anything that goes against the Islamic teachings? Then you look at what the claims are, right? You know, because the verse of the Holy Quran clearly states that if anybody claimed to be a prophet or claims to be from God Almighty and he's not, then Allah the Almighty will destroy, destroy that person and that person's mission will fail. But the people that Allah the Almighty appoint, they, despite the biggest challenges and the biggest opposition, they will not fail and they will continue to progress. And if you look at the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, then you have to determine whether this community is growing, whether this community has grown and whether more and more people are accepting it or not. And whether, you know, the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was successful in his uh, in his job, where he defended Islam at the time of attacks, where he has created such a community which is thriving, which is following the Islamic teaching, then you can realize, then you can say, okay, you know, this person is true. This community is true. If you analyze these things with a pure heart, with leaving aside all other distractions and uh, prejudice, then you will come to the conclusion that Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmed, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, indeed was the promised Messiah and the Mahdi. Because nobody else has successfully made this claim and be success been successful in that. Nobody has made this claim and the prophecies have has been fulfilled in their advantage or for their support, but the promised Messiah. We find that Hazrat Mizah Ghulam Ahmed the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the prophecies that he, um, that was for the coming of the Messiah was fulfilled in his person's person. 
the signs that uh, Allah the Almighty said will happen, the Prophet said would happen, they have happened. He himself showed by his own uh, prayers, his own signs uh, and prophecies, um, and they were fulfilled. So the fulfillment of prophecies and signs are a great tool for us to determine whether a person is from God, whether he is truthful or not. Then look at the moral character of the promised Messiah. Look at his character. What did he used to do? Did he, did he serve the faith? Was he humble? Was he devoted to God? Did he speak about uh, the importance of uh, prayer? Did he speak about the importance of going back to the root of the Islamic teachings? If you look at more than 80 books and booklets of, uh, uh, and writings of the promised Messiah, you will find it yourself. You will be able to decide yourself that this person has so much love for Islam. He has so much love for the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he devoted his whole life for the purpose and propagation of Islam. And he devoted his life for the propagation of Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and for praising him and to further his teachings. Again, for yourself, pick up the books, look yourself, go through his writings and you will find the answer to this question yourself. Then, look at his uh, debates and challenges, how he has challenged people, how he defended Islam against the Christians and other people, other religions at that time. Islam was under attack at that time when he came in the 18th, 19th century. People were attacking Islam from all corners, clerics, Hindus, Aryas, uh, Muslim, uh, um, Christians, even Muslims themselves were doubting Islam. And at that time, there was only one person who defeated them and also defended Islam and the name of Islam and the name of Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And that was the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Again, the promised Messiah also has said that jihad by the sword or fighting with the sword is prohibited at this time. Because the true fight for religion or true uh, defense of Islam is through the pen, through education, through learning and through, through writing and through spreading the knowledge of Islam and defeating the enemies through education, through debates, through logical and theological arguments. And that's exactly what the promised Messiah did. And another great uh, sign of his truthfulness is his acceptance of prayers. The promised Messiah literally said that anybody who wants to challenge me can come and challenge me in prayer and I will win those duels. And he did win those duels. If you look at the history, if you look at uh, the people who challenged him, they all were defeated and they were defeated through his prayers. What bigger sign do you need, do a person need to see the truthfulness of a person than his relationship with God? So the promised Messiah, Hazrat Ghulam Ahmad, May Allah be pleased with him. His relationship with God was so strong that he could pray to God Almighty and he would win uh, you know, any challenge that anybody put him through. He um, would have his prayer listened to and accepted the most. That is a sign of a person that is appointed by God Almighty because prophets, they always prevail. And then you look at the propagation of Islam and the propagation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community today the fastest growing sect within Islam, plus the service of Islam that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community does and the serving of humanity that 
is found within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community that I think for anybody who has a pure mind and a sincere heart will very quickly come to the conclusion that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community today is the true face of Islam, is the true Islam that the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, presented and he wanted us to accept that Messiah and follow that teaching. Coming up next is the news. Jazakallah for joining us today on Voice of Islam radio station. Join us tomorrow for another live program here. Assalamu alaikum.